I had another idea while I was just peeing with you guys. Um, what if, what if, what if for Halloween, all four of us dressed up like the Beatles? But when anyone asks what we are or talked about, we would just be fat Beatles. <laughs> Sean in on it too, like black turtlenecks and shit. <laughs> tight, tight turtlenecks, <laughs> tight black shirts. We're fat beetles. Oh, that would be fun. <laughs> oh, good times. <laughs> fat times. <laughs> All I milk the bush's garden. <laughs> Number nine. Number nine. Maxwell Silva, yeah, this is too much work. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Roman, 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 Roman. Welcome it's to even a funnier Shut when up, Django. Stoic. I'm trying to do my thing. <laughs> <laughs> trying to make magic over here, man. <laughs> Welcome, hello, weary traveler. Welcome. <laughs> Sit down by the fireside with us. What's that? Crackle, 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 crackle. That's crackle, the sound of snap. a freshly started fire. We heated, we heated it up. We're here because this dusty trail has been meandering on and on for many, many days now, and we thought it was good to take a sit down and maybe just sit and reflect. Two hundred and fifty episodes. What are we talking about? Papcast, my dears. Papcast, a comic book podcast where we sit by fires and do shit down people's throats oh, oh sorry you're right this it's might been be somebody's less first than episode. two minutes and i already am like we're gonna take that piece of garbage the Django made out sorry mom yep i know it sounds like an adolescent boy uh it's a comic podcast from bellingham washington where every week we gather around to do really fun bits like that and talk about the comics that came out that week we run a shop and spend a lot of time there and still like to talk to each other if you can believe it we actually don't get quite enough roman time thanks for letting us miss a week last week but we had to get all of the stage work done for episode 250 mm -hmm. thanks for giving us that space it was a lot of staging it. a lot of stage work a lot of done. coordination i am always am your 250 year old friend jeff i'm Django. i'm your 250 month old friend Django. and i'm your 36 year old Romy. Oh, Romy, how are you doing, <clears throat> bud? You just listen to Django and I make our only the two of us laugh. Clearly, make <laughs> only the two of us laugh for, you know, upwards of 20 minutes. Uh, how are you doing this gorgeous celebratory afternoon? Good, good, good. I got a bunch of comics down my gullet mm. and, and things are Definitely nice. Want some people get down their gullets. It's true. <laughs> Uh, I've told a lot of people this week that Django eats peanuts and eats the shell with them and also eats apple cores. It's pretty mm -hmm. disgusting. I Both remember true. when Django, Django first told me you could eat apple cores and yeah, they're not bad. They're still apple. Yeah, there's trace amounts of cyanide in the seeds, but not enough to hurt you. What, yeah. what have the reactions been, Jeff? Have some, has, has anybody said, oh yeah, I do that too? 
No, people are shocked by it, actually. <laughs> well, and if you're listening to this not, fair podca- podcast <clears throat> with us uh, at 250 episodes in, feel free to let us hear your thoughts on eating an apple and the core as well and peanuts and the shell as well. It's pretty uncouth against God. I know. <laughs> Listen, Happy... I draw the line at peach pits. Will Elmer really? has something. No, Roman, please. Oh, you I've... do no, talk. No, Django, it's nothing important. Just because just, just Django, earlier in the week, he brought up, uh, or I guess Ryan Russell did, brought up boiled peanuts and mm. pe- peanuts. Mm. And ever since he did, oh. I really wanted to try some boiled peanuts. Me too. <laughs> I even was Googling them last night to see where I could track some down. Yeah. Does anybody? Do you it just like boil... they come in cans? Can we you can just boil them. We can make some, guys. Yeah. yeah, we... yeah. Can we just make some? Yeah. I, I, got a, get... I got a recipe for it. A six pack of beer. Some peanuts, some salt, some hot water. You put all that stuff together. You drink the beer and you cook the peanuts. And when the beer's <laughs> done, the peanuts are done. I mean, you put Old Bay seasoning, I've heard. Sure. Yeah. Happy episode 250, Will Elmer says. In July of 2020, former Bellingham local boy Eric Larson released his 250th issue of Savage Dragon. So in the spirit of another team of incredible local boys hitting a big 250 milestone, I thought it'd be fun to ask what other local artists or creators native to the greater Bellingham area are your favorite and that you want to give a shout out to during this holiday season, whether it is something that can be purchased at the comics place or anything else downtown. Thank you for all the hours of entertainment, for being great friends to all of us, for helping us find so many amazing comics and graphic novels and creating such an amazing community for us fellow nerds to be a part of. Congrats on 250 episodes. And here is to the next 250. Oh, God. (laughs) Hugs and kisses. Will Elmer. P.S. Today, courtesy of Emily Larson Kubiak. I leave you with the Gooey Duck Fight Song from Evergreen State College, written by archivist Malcolm Stilson in 1971. Go, Gooey Ducks, go. Through the mud and the sand, let's go. Siphon high, squirt it out. Swivel it all about. Let it all hang out. Go, Gooey Ducks, go. Stretch your necks when the tide is low. Siphon high, squirt it out. Swivel all around. Let it all hang out. Looks like there's an audio version he sent me a link to. I'll listen to that one privately while I'm swiveling and squirting. <laughs> um, local artists worth supporting. Well, we got to give a shout out to Aaron uh, Evan Berger, mm-hmm. who has done much of the art for everything in our comic shop, the pictures of us on our lanyards, on the internet site, the shirts that we've had made. All Aaron Berger, Evan Berger, Aaron Larson, Eric Kubiak. Wait, no, I don't know any of these people. Why am I the person talking? Um, that would be my first shout out. What do y'all got? Roman got, probably knows a wealth of them. Sean Meyer, who mm. uh, oh. got got super into comics, I think within the last couple of years, like the last three years, and and produced one, and it includes a an audio CD that goes with it. It's pretty uh, pretty awesome. We just recently sold out of that at the shop. However, we'll have to talk to Sean about getting some more. Oh, Jeff and I did some voice work for the CD. Don't tell Jeff. Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, what? <laughs> I did what? Well, Roman, was... you are connected to the museums. You know all. You like a. You know the the old school of art around. Yeah, I'm trying to. Uh, well, actually, the first guy came to mind died a couple of years ago. Oh, but um... I didn't mean that <laughs> yeah. old school of artists. Yeah. Um... Getting 36 is hard. Eh? You start losing friends. Yeah, it, is, it is. It is. Um, actually, the first person that came to mind was our was our was our own uh, Ashton. Oh my good um, lord! And his art art isn't out there yet. Not really, but but. He's a great artist. He's a great artist. He's got a Patreon and an account called Torpid Urchin. Check him out. Hmm. T-O-R-P-I-D-U-R-C-H-I-N. So talented. So awesome. Love him. Um, 
we've got another email from Andrew, but we'll come to that one in a little bit. Let's start talking just an amount about comic books, since that's why we pretend that we all get together. But mostly it's just that we like to spend this much time with our fingers in each other's belly buttons. What was mm-hmm. that you said? Justin's here? Did I say that? Maybe you, I don't know. You said something. I just heard Justin. I don't think you said just, I don't know. Move on. Go on. I'm standing right behind you. Oh my God. I'm afraid to turn around. Hey, Justin. <laughs> just kidding. He's not here. That would be great though. Um, he's probably asleep right now. He's probably asleep right now. That was ultimately why he had to stop becoming uh, on the podcast. It's almost it's just, 9 p.m. It's almost 9 p.m. We are going to be talking about a handful of books this week, including The Human Target, number two, King of Spies, number one, Joker Annual 2021, Darkhold, Black Bolt, Animal Castle, <laughs> The Me You Love in the Dark, number five, Gotham City <laughs> Villains Anniversary Giant, number one. Featuring a story by Danny DeVito. I, young, I think that that's got to be part of the title. Young Daniel DeVito. <laughs> a young Daniel DeVito, no less. <laughs> but before we can check fully in with young Daniel DeVito, let's talk a little bit about the human target and by Tom King and Greg Smallwood. But I, ju- I just can't help but feel like this is the one of the more Django things that's ever come out. Oh, yeah, because uh, it's crime noir with JLI characters, and that just blows my mind. But instead of having Django throw up down our throats, Roman, can you tell me about this ice character that's in here? And what it, what what do I know? I don't know anything about them. And maybe how much of this is a retcon in this book and how much of it is a retcon that happened at some point in the in the main universe? Yeah. Did the things really happen in, in this that they talked about? <clears throat> I was kind of wondering about that, too, because... Ice is one of those characters that got killed off a while ago and at some point came back. But this is a Black Label book, so none of that matters. Um, She was a member of the JLI. Before that, her and Fire were both in the Global Guardians, which was a team that was introduced on the Super Friends cartoon. Um, And then they graduated to the Justice League. Her and Fire were best friends. And Ice used to date Guy Gardner, and she was really sweet and nice and kind, has, you know ice powers um and at one point she got killed and somebody replaced her but then she came back i don't remember how that all worked out but in this and her origin was that what christopher chance says here that uh a kind of a fairy tale type origin thing but in this issue yeah she says that none of that was true that's just all some myths she's made she made up to as part of her denial because she accidentally as she is teenager killed her father and grandfather when her powers went nuts um, and I think, I don't know, I think that's a retcon, that part, but I'm not okay. sure. Maybe that has appeared before and I just don't remember it. I don't know. I always liked her in the Justice League International books because she was just so, like, she's super powerful, but she's also super, super sweet. And yeah. her best friend is her, like, her power opposite and kind of also a, a hothead. Like, Fire, Fire's, like, super sexy and she knows it and she kind of manipulates dudes with that. And Ice is pretty timid and nice and somehow dating guy gardner who's just the biggest butthole in the world Um, yeah and i i I always liked that kind of those three had a had a dynamic that i i always liked i really like her as kind of the femme fatale this issue seems like it's almost just a meditation on what happens when the private eye inevitably gets in a car with the leggy dame that walked into his office like it happens in every story and i liked i liked where this led and kind of the, the way that her powers manifest by just always making things colder around her i don't i, I don't think i've ever seen that addressed in this way uh, yeah i thought it was pretty cool 
Yeah, I didn't remember that either. I like I like that a lot too. And and Christopher Chance is just his film noir narration. We're talking about how there's some women you can say no to and some you can't. And that's why that's classic. Just like, oh, I know this is bad, but uh, going along with it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. What did you think, Jeff? Like you're you're not a JLIer if you if you catch my meaning. I mean, I'm not the first two letters, but I like to lie. <clears throat> I um I liked it. I mean, it's like incredibly gorgeous the greg smallwood mm -hmm. art is uh really amazing it's not just the sort of soft airbrushy warm kind of look that he always does like there's a kind of phil noto quality in here with a lot more like kind of looks like like colored pencil lines being the ink instead of like ink lines if that makes i mean it's probably all digital anyway but there's a a softness to the to the outlines of most things. I wonder if some of that is like a purposeful homage to the way that Nathaniel Dusk was made. Mm. Cause that had real soft lines over the, over the pencils or over the inks. Yeah. The color scheme is also pretty incredible throughout all of it. Um, it is. Yeah. It's pretty like crime noir, you know, like there's Venetian blinds in this, mm -hmm. this is, you know, a genre book in the way that he's been doing that, and he seems very good at doing this type of genre and things have been kind of moving this direction a little bit more, you know, the last wave of Tom King books are also this sort of same kind of not, not same at all, but like um, genre books that are kind of long that you are banking on an interesting ride towards some sort of twist at the end, mm -hmm. you know, like, like kind of classically noir -y. So I'm glad he's right here in this. Again, that's not like a genre that I absolutely love, but I think this is incredibly done and the art is gorgeous. But yeah, I don't have both feet in the story for sure, but I, I do like it a lot. Um, I thought it was also kind of interesting just leaning on kind of like a pulpy, kind of like a pulp, right? For like the pages that had tons of text on them and then just some images, mm -hmm. like weren't those oftentimes <clears throat> like, you know, leaned more on the tech side of things than illustrations. Yeah. And a little bit like th those kind of reminded me of Parker. Yeah. The, the Darwin yeah. Cook adaptations of Parker. Yes. So I, th I think they're doing a lot of really cool stuff with the medium consistently. That's what Tom King does. But, you know, I bet in two issues, I'll be like, this is the most exciting book to me coming out. But as of this first issue right here, I don't, I liked it very much. I think it's very cool. But uh, as of the second issue, rather, but, um, it's not it's not incredibly exciting to me, but I am blown away by the craft involved by the both the writing and the art for sure. The craft is amazing because uh, casting ice as as an innocent seeming but femme fatale, like she's you know I mean she's so convinced that her best friend Fire couldn't have killed anybody, and and I kept on thinking throughout the issue well, of the people in the JLI at, JLI at that time capable uh, that I would think would be capable of killing it would be fire mm -hmm. <laughs> and uh <clears throat> and I'm not sure who else rocket red possibly but probably by accident because he was a nice guy <laughs> a guy gardener but not in a subtle way like this yeah yeah and it is super fun just like I don't know a huge amount about the pulp stories because I haven't engaged in as many like noir you know things as the two of you hounds but I was like oh it's always the leggy dame at the end so like you know, the way that he kind of inevitably gets to that conclusion at the end of this episode issue, is, mm -hmm. you know, is and the way that they made it, you know, obvious and everything was kind of fun. Like, I guess that's some of the fun of maybe engaging in pulp things is recognizing the tropes and going for the ride. But um, I'm not super experienced in that yet, but it was fun to have gotten at least that bit. I love the way that uh, Smallwood draws the whiskey tumblers. 
like it's just a little white outline. Mm, yeah, uh, yeah. There's, there's yeah. no black glass drawn there. It's just just white. Uh, yeah, you're right. That fancy. Kind of reminds me of some of the stylistic <clears throat> stuff that like Mitch Garrods does in a Tom King book. You know, like yeah. with the trays and, and just the there's uh, they you know I guess this is probably digital, so they probably work in very similar ways. Yeah. Well, what do you yeah. give it, Jeffrey? I gave it an eight. I gave it an eight. Um, I think it's gorgeous and. I, I kind of forgot. I couldn't remember if he was like sick from cancer or something, or if the poison that he ingested is the reason that he's dying. And it seems it's like that, that. but yeah. Um, yeah, there's a, you know, the month gap. <clears throat> I think that he did a good job of using exposition to kind of get you back on the same page within like two mm -hmm. pages. Uh, but yeah, um, yeah I, I believe I, the creative teams and the presentation of it make me obviously going to read it, but the actual book itself hasn't fully lit my fires yet, but I'm impressed with how well done it is for sure. So I'm going to give it uh, nine and a half. I'm trying just, to do not do half points this day as well. Sorry, just well, good for you. I'm, I'm doing them. I think you should. This is this is episode 250. Jeff, so all of mine are going to be point five. Oh, okay. To honor the five zero in 250. I am also I've, I've, doing that, <laughs> and mine was on eight point five. <laughs> That's what I'm doing. Everything has a point five because it's 250. Good one, Django. I love you. Mine is uh, partly partly because I just think that he's tom king specifically has gotten better and better and better at doing a self-contained study on a slice of a genre like starting it with miracle man miracle mr miracle man mm -hmm. um each issue yeah. has been like that and um what's the one that just wrapped up strange uh, adventures rorschach rorschach and this have all so far had here's here's a very small slice of this genre that I'm playing with, and we're gonna just do one story. You could almost read any one of those issues by itself and feel like you've gotten a whole mm -hmm. a whole study on 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 a topic. Um, so nine and a half. Love it. I'm gonna give it a big old gooey. Oh, oh right out of the oh. gate. Oh, kind of had to since they're half the issue they're on the beach. That's true. They did talk <laughs> a lot about gooey ducks. I looked into buying gooey ducks for us all, everybody, but I then looked into the preparation of it and thought about how I was going to cook gooey ducks and then get them to everybody's house separately and then record us eating them. And it just seemed <laughs> yeah, like an impossibility. Major production. And, no, and nobody wants to hear somebody eating a gooey duck. Oh, God, I bet it's like eating a tire. <laughs> wonder what yeah. a gooey duck sounds like. If only yeah. we knew. Yeah, well, we'd have to uh, have gotten permission to be sharing the screen and do some other oh, things. Yeah. <laughs> that is a beautiful issue. This is my favorite comic this week. <clears throat> it is like the colors. The, when they're at the beach, the colors are some of the prettiest I've ever seen in a comic. They reminded me kind of of the Reckless book. Yeah. You know, those like yeah. sun-washed streets of California in the 80s. The shadows in it are so interesting because... I mean, they, I, I gave up trying to figure out like where the light source is coming from because there was something going on with the shadowing and the shading that was more had to do more, with, I think, with theme than it did with reality of where the light sources were mm -hmm. from panel to panel. Yeah, that's a good point. A good point. Well, should we move along to the King of Spies, which I know Roman read very excitedly. He's the one whose sort of enthusiasm we're going to have to hold back so we can actually get through the conversation. I am. That was so amazing. It was so amazing. <laughs> On that note, Roman, don't talk about it at all. Okay. Django, let's talk about King of Spies, number one, by Mark Miller and Matteo Scalera. The new image book came out. Mark Miller has released a string of image books lately that have, you know, probably each received fewer readers than the last. Mm -hmm. um, and this one didn't feel wholly mm -hmm. different than 
something like Prodigy, which he was wrote that kind of dwindled in sales until there was none. But I've been just recently informed by my uh, retail sales associate, Django Boren, that this is a book that we've sold out of in popularity because I did. I sort of assessed the numbers that kind of where the trend has been going. And don't ever assume that you can know anything. Let's talk about King of <laughs> Spies, which felt even a lot like a different book I read this week. But I thought this was great. The, the opening scene is just like a, a James Bond cold open in, in Panama, January 1980 or 1990. And we see our hero who is literally the king of spies, right? Um, just shooting his way through some bad guys and jumping off a building head first and shooting people on the way down and landing in an ambulance on a woman who's having a baby and shooting the baby out of her into the doctor's arms and blowing up the ambulance and shooting a bunch of people and wrecking a truck and landing on a train and having a sword fight on theirs and it was all like very clear action movie kind of blocking for all of that and then we have like this smash cut to him as an old half broken down man it's living been 32 years yeah and he's he's just still a badass but not not the dashing young badass that he was in that opening scene. If James and, Bond got old and really was dealing with the fact that he's never stayed with a woman long enough to ever be have any connections or any love or anything. And the only child he's had hates him because he was a womanizer that wasn't around. And yeah, yeah, just just the kind of the fallout from being a spy. Your body and your friends don't don't like you anymore. <laughs> um, and of course, you know, he's got a he, he, he's got cancer, right? And he's got just a. a little while to live and so he's got to go take down all the rich white assholes that used him throughout his life so i thought the action was amazing i thought the not action was really good too and i i just like the the setup of someone who looks as old as my shoulders feel this week <laughs> being able to beat up six dudes in a bathroom yeah it reminded me i read that and human target back to back and it's a very similar protagonist and his uh, cock grew four sizes that day no it's still stuck at a very infantile size but it was <laughs> fun to just be really stuck in the like older empowered white guy who's good at stuff and espionage but this one's like the adrenaline is crack cranked up a bit more than human target but still the same neither of which are super up my genre wheelhouse but again mm -hmm. I, I think the human target was just incredibly done and this one i do like it for the interesting look at midlife crises in this mm -hmm. old guy. That's what's more interesting to me is <clears throat> him, you know, realizing a bunch of sad stuff about himself and, and dealing with this self-loathing. And that was the more interesting, likable thing for me. And it's when Mark Miller does seem to be able to put a small amount of heart in his books that I do like them. But Roman, when this had came, came in, you know, said something along the lines of like, oh, the new Mark Miller Netflix television series pitch. And I couldn't agree more with that to some extent. And also that he does have an ability to even on the books that I think that I like, I lose interest within like two issues. But that being said, there's things like Magic Order, which I love, and Starlight, which I love, and Huck, I liked a lot. So he does do good ones, but he just does a lot of stuff. And they have the ability to be very by the numbers. And I don't think this one is by the numbers, but I don't think it's exactly what I like. But I do think, Django, you're totally right. The first eight pages of this are mm -hmm. one of the better mapped out action scenes I've seen in a comic. Like he shoots the umbilical cord of a baby that is born so that they don't <laughs> have to cut the umbilical cord. Like that's that's pretty over the top. Congratulations, by the way. Roland's a good name for a boy. Because that's his name. That's his name. 
if you could have guessed. Yeah, I'm curious, what do you get it? I do like the the aesthetic. The cover's good. I'm, you know, it's interesting that we sold out of it. We've got a couple copies with us that we'll be bringing back to the shop. So if that sounds exciting to you, you'll be able to get it again soon, um, as with the case for another book that we'll be talking about shortly. I think I would give it uh, probably an eight and a half, just, just if for no other reason than the fact that I could hear this comic in the first, in the opening scene. Like I could hear the music, I could hear the bullets, I could hear the car crashes, and uh, that was fun. I gave it an 8.5 as well. Um, it's a really well done comic uh, in terms of storytelling. And I think that Mark Miller has a really good visual frame of mind for writing scenes. I think the Matteo Scalera does a really great job of putting a lot of kinetic movement and energy into his storytelling. And he's mm -hmm. been doing uh, black science for so long. It's nice to see his art on some other books now. So that's pretty cool. But 8.5, again, back to back with uh, Human Target. It was just another old white guy in a suit who's dying and trying to take care of something before he dies. It's like, okay. I'm just glad that there's characters I can relate to exactly. in comic books. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, Roman, I'm curious. Django, I don't think read Darkhold Black. Roman hadn't read King of Spies. That was the joke of why I said, Roman, you can't talk about their one. Um, Roman, would you talk to us a little bit about a book that I didn't read, but I know that you two read, and it has a little bit of something to do with the Joker annual. I was going to buy a copy to take home with me just because the B cover is so good, but then I chickened it's so out. Good. It's so good. It's so good. Um, so in the Joker annual, number one, with the cover by fuck well there is that joke <laughs> I, don't, I don't know what the other cover looked like i got this cover the a cover by frank avia the dan hip cover is oh, very good that is uh, so cool. it's written by matthew rosenberg and wow. jimmy t ivy uh with art by francisco frank avia who has been a little bit hit or miss for me in the last uh i don't know year and a half or two years but this this one seemed to be firing on all all cylinders as far as his art goes in my eyes and uh the jimmy t and matt rosenberg writing was also very solid um it's basically more joker story through the eyes of jim gordon um and involving a, a young batgirl who we now know thanks to the the main joker series that jim has known for a long time that she is batgirl his, his daughter's batgirl and uh um so we see him kind of taking risks as a cop to probably save his daughter who he thinks is in peril from the Joker. And I, I like what this series is doing, kind of giving new context to the killing joke and Barbara and the Joker's relationship there. Um, and just, yeah, this, this was a good, good crimey, almost like a Dick Tracy, like a, a real hardcore Dick Tracy story. Yeah. Yeah. And also, well, it, it, that new context also um the three jokers miniseries mm -hmm. this is a nice kind of companion to that just in terms of gordon gordon and gordon's relationship i really like this too because i it's one of those classic uh the commissioner and you know the head cop is trying to clean up the corrupt police department and he's dealing with these dirty cops and all the pressures and even like his best cop is you know an alcoholic and <laughs> there's just a lot of good commentary dialogue in here about that about yeah. you know what he's trying to do and how even the good cops are on his side are like you know you're, you're just trying to do too much even his daughter it's like yeah. you're trying to do too much i mean just this isn't realistic so one of the main antagonists in this is sergeant mcquade from the swat team is he the sergeant who has the SWAT team in year one? 
I know it would shock oh. you guys to find out that I don't know that for sure. Yeah, I, I, I can't even fathom trying to ask anyone that's not in this room. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I don't remember. I would have expected you to know that. Well, because he had kind of an antagonistic relationship with that guy. And this feels like it's in the year one-ish. What, what's the guy's name? Yeah. Uh, McQuaid. M-C-Q-U-A-D-E. Um, there, there's some great stuff with the Joker hanging out with Catman. And like the Joker's running gag is that he thinks that Catman is actually a cat and he's given him like a hot cup of milk instead of a coffee. And uh, he waves off his henchman who's got a, a ball of yarn and a mouse on a fishing pole. Um, and the Joker seems like serious about that. But yeah. <laughs> it, it, it's, just, it's just a really, a really nice little bit of dialogue and, and interaction there. Um, and the, the way that they have uh, McQuaid eating boiled eggs. I thought that was awesome to, to kind of loop that back around, except for the way that he holds the egg in in the interrogation room. Uh, There's something spidery about his fingers, and I hated it. Yeah, that, that was weird. <laughs> and I was wondering is isn't that a, is that a reference to a character maybe in year one, or is that a reference a movie reference? Because I I could swear that's such an odd thing. I know I've seen a movie or something where there's a cop or a detective or somebody that, who eats boiled eggs all the well, time. Well, a it's hard boiled, and B it's probably uh-huh. a Beatles reference because he is the Egg Man. Mm. Oh, well, there you go. Mm. The one where the gang got really into the Beatles. And I like the fact that this is in the three Joker series. Now, what were the three versions of the Joker that like was? I, I don't remember what the three was like. The crime boss and the, it was like yeah, killing joke J- Joker, old man Joker, which was the crime boss Joker, and then there was like a more comedian or insane person. Yeah. So and this and this, I guess, judging by the hat, is the crime boss Joker. So I just like the fact that they're they're calling out that version. Do oh yeah, he's it. he's totally wearing a Jack Nicholson hat. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Well, yeah, I thought, it, I thought it was pretty solid. Yeah, what y'all gave it? I think that it's. I can't imagine the interior being better than that cover. The interior is great in its own right. I, I give. This I just a sorry. I mean, 5. I mean the comic as a whole. Like, could, what could possibly top that cover? I like the cover's amazing. Seven and a half for the guts. Ten point oh for the cover. Track that, Andrew. <laughs> Well, I didn't even see that other cover, so I'm just going to give the whole thing a 9.5. I mean, I love the ending, and and I didn't see it coming, and that was that was cool. And it's creep, and it's creepy and nuts. Yeah, dead people in pinatas, Jeff. I hard boiled. I did. I I did read the last couple pages of it. Tricked into being credited for the inspiration for having dead bodies in pinatas. Pinatas. <laughs> um, a book that Roman <clears throat> and I both read that I don't know that Django read is Dark Hold Black Bolt, number one by Mark Russell. Roman, we were both doing uh, Black Bolt impersonations earlier. I'm curious, do you want to do your Black Bolt impersonation to tell me how this was? Very tight, he says. Very Jeff, tight. Can, can we uh, can we hear yours? Oh, I don't like it tight, he says. Oh, geez, I've never... He's saying some horrible things to me. I would never say horrible things to Django. Ah, see, it's funny because Black Bolt can't talk. That's why. That that little radio <laughs> joke humor was all about Black Bolt there. Uh, Roman, this... I really enjoyed this, like, a lot. I'm, I did, too. It felt like a Roman book to me. Do you want to tell our friends about this one? Yeah, so that whole Darkhold setup, you know, if you remember, is is each of the, these heroes all read a page from the Dark or the dark hold and it shows them this version of reality their reality that uh is a totally like you know kind of a what if type thing it's essentially just like dark what if right yeah dark what if yeah it's a good way to put it and yeah this one black bolt wakes up on this planet and he's on apparently the inhumans have their own prison planet where they abandon people and uh he makes a commentary comment here well his internal monologue makes a comment somewhere in here that 
yeah, they dump off their criminals on this planet, hoping that the uh, the creatures on the planet will kill them because they're not they're not up to the task of executing people. So they just dump them on this planet, and hopes the planet does it for them. Which is pretty dark. We haven't heard that before, right? And he's having a whole crisis of identity because he doesn't know. He reaches a point where he doesn't know if he's Black Bolt. Or if he's his brother, Maximus the Mad, that then he starts thinking that because there's been some cloning stuff in the past that Max has done. And, and it's just, just a great man alone in the desert, basically, maybe going a little nuts, trying to figure out if he is who he thinks he is, um, fighting a big Crayblack, Sarlacc type creature. And it's just a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. I like the melancholy nature of it. What I like so much about this one is that Mark Russell has a sort of unflinching Mark Russell thing about his books. You can always kind of hear or feel a Mark Russellism within a book. And I like that very much. But this is that toned down a little bit. It doesn't have like his biting humor or wit really anywhere in it. But the inherent crisis of identity story that is brought up within this feels very Mark Russell. Like it feels kind of like not all robots or something, which is sort of this, I, I mean, this has sort of this question of like, so yeah, so spoilers for these books, but um, Black Bolt lands on this planet. He's having memories of like trying to remember how he got here and he his memory is really spotty, but he realizes that Maximus the Mad was planning to send somebody to impersonate one of his soldiers and to they start using this memory detector so they'll know who is the impersonator and because you can't hide your memories. So the way that they were going to get by that, what he slowly starts to remember is that Maximus was going to have his memories deleted and replaced with Black Bolt's memories. So that's what this is. He finds out he's Maximus who's had Black Bolt's memories taken his memories. But at that point, if someone's memories have been taken and yours replaced, like what is the difference between you and that person? It's kind of that Peter Parker, Ben Riley question. And I do like that question. And I think that the way that this resolves and the way that he comes to that and everything is really, really interesting because he just decides that he doesn't know, like, am I Mac? If I am Maximus, I can't go back to that planet now because I'll destroy it. And if this is all a lie, um, then I, I have to. Yeah, it's it's just great. Then Maximus will kill him. So it's it's a very interesting existential question. And it, it's like a different side of Mark Russell, I feel like. I'm curious if you would agree with that. Yeah, I'd act until you were talking about it. I'd actually forgotten that this was Mark Russell. Cause, yeah. Cause yeah. Like you say, there's none of the big obvious Mark Russell kind of tropes in here. Right. But it does think the kind of the crisis of identity there does feel yeah. like a thing that is kind of the serious at side of a lot of the questions he brings up in his work. So I thought it was really great on top of like the Iron Man Darkhold issue. We've gotten mm-hmm. some really good issues from this relatively bizarre castaway event that's been coming out so i do think it's worth checking out i do think people should look into this one especially if you're a mark russell head it's some of their better work and in my mind from from late and it's a slightly different representation of their stuff yeah yeah and like you say and the dark hole the one before that before this issue dark hole the wasp that was really good too oh nice um, i don't know about the blade issue i didn't read that but yeah i would give this one a let me find my little list here i know i marked it high I, I, it it five. Monsters. I gave it a nine yeah. i gave it a nine also but then i remembered that it's 250 today and i have to do everything with a 0.5 so i gave it a 9.5 oh there you go yeah <laughs> yeah they did have one, one mark russell moment i think was when black bolt is climbing this cliff and he's climbing and struggling up it and this weird creature coming out of the cliff attacking him while he's trying to climb and the mark russell part i thought was making your character do that when i kept on thinking can black bolt fly why isn't he flying but then they cover that oh they did yeah, he can't fly. And that's part of the credit to like the science experiment he has to undergo 
Um, the dude's like, I can't give you the power of flight, but I can oh. give you the voice thing if I inject a Terrigen Mist thing into you. So, oh, okay. um, so that's the strength of the idea that maybe he actually is Max the Mad, Mad Max. Yeah. Wow. Cool. I missed a little bit. Yeah. I think we should trans transfer over a little bit to the big spec book of the week, it sounds like. The book that we sold out of that's now going for upwards of $12 online. Trial Castle, Castle, the trial, trial of Magneto. Oh, <laughs> I didn't get to read that one because we sold out of that one too. I uh, was we did. Jeez. E- yeah, <laughs> everyone subscribe to your books, pre-order your books, and subscribe <laughs> to your books so that way we can actually get enough books for people on the farm. Uh, on the farm, okay. All animals were equal in the castle. The farm. Some are more equal than others. I've never read Animal Farm, and I forgot that was a thing until the moment I read that quote, and I was like, "Oh, right, there's Animal Farm. This is Animal Castle." Okay. <laughs> Does it feel like this book that we're about to talk about is referencing a lot of direct aspects of Animal Farm? Yeah, it felt to me like the follow-up to Animal Farm. Yeah, yeah, that's that's a good way to put it. So like in Animal Farm, the animals are on a farm and the farmer is there and the animals kind of stage a revolt, right? You'll have to correct me if I'm wrong, Roman, because it's been, um, well, you were just born. It's been 36 years since I read Animal Farm. Oh, wow. Um, what a a revolt and development actually it probably has been pretty close to that but so you were 16 when you read it (laughs) um you old man it's this this the in this there are no humans left it's only sort of the the communist animal society that's left but it's sort of corrupt communism which is pretty close to you know what a lot of societies turn into yeah it seems like a really interesting extension of like yeah a, a socialist animal environment has been set up but then as with most things that involve sentient life bits of power start to creep up and then with that a, a degree of greed and mm-hmm. racers uh like scarcity of resources and um yeah it's it seems like it's all the tail end of a utopian society that's now about to crumble on itself yeah so this was written by xavier dorison and drawn by felix delip delip and it a blaze it, studios a blaze is the one that feels, put this out it feels like titan titan or humanoids to me like it's got yeah. a very french or belgian line style to the art and and colors i'll look into it but i would have to think that this came out as something else and has been translated into this let me i'll do some recon it, it almost has to be because the pages are there's there's a very large margin on the top and bottom and it feels like it was probably originally created to be a little bit bigger and a little bit squarer than what we've got here um yeah well there's in the that word i can never pronounce even after all these years indicia yeah there's a translation credit and then stuff about the for the english edition under right 2021 yeah so it, it must be must be from something else um but it's it's beautiful and super interesting and uh, I, i'll i'll read the next one i'll keep reading it why not no yeah, yeah i'll definitely read i mean i really it is beautiful and the, the detailed line work it's one of those translations where the panels are a little in this comic book format a monthly format it's almost a little too small sometimes mm-hmm. but the drawings of the poor the cat for instance who's one of the main characters being put to slave labor and how she's trying to drag this stone and of course the stone falls off the ramp and pulls her off because you know outweighs her i just felt so so bad for this cat (laughs) Mm -hmm. yeah she's she's clearly hungry she's she doesn't have uh her husband is is dead and he's the one who's supposed to be doing this work it does seem to be a french graphic novel originally called le chateau des animaux well that Uh. that's like the house of the animal and the rising sun wow well 
do I know my French line style or do I not, boys? <laughs> yeah, which is interesting because they've also been doing work with Guillaume March quite mm -hmm. a bit um mm -hmm. lately and then Merca andolfo so it's it's cool that they're finding you know not just a bunch of american comic book artists and writers to be doing stuff they're doing a pretty interesting a blaze has done a generally interesting array of books to this point i would say yeah yeah this is it's brutal it ends like brutally when i was starting and i was like is this a book that would be good for kids and then like no uh it, <clears> like <throat> the, the political overtones would be boring to a child and then the violence and brutality of it it's you know heartbreaking in an animal way but, you know, I have become more and more aware of how sensitive to animals and pain and in fiction I am. And so this was like really good, but pretty like brutal and uh, stressful. Even, even humanized animals like does does the death of a humanized animal in, in this context where all the animals are basically people. Does that affect you more than it would if it was just a bunch of animals with people around? Good like point. I do think that it makes it a little bit more palatable if they are humanized that mm -hmm. I do. I do think so. But they're also for no matter the humanization that they do, the like adorable cat faces of the little kids passing their empty bowls to their mom to be able to get some food is like, yeah. oh, God, I'm worried about those little cat kids because meow, 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 meow. Yeah. And I, speaking of the cat, I mean, I like the fact that she says to one of her captors at one point that you know, I'm a cat. I need, I need to sleep. I need to sleep a lot more than most of the other animals yeah. here. And she yeah. can't because she's a slave. So mm -hmm. I like the fact they still added in those kind of attributes to these humanized characters. Yeah. And the art style, like, yeah, very French. It looks like early Disney type era stuff, like Fox and the Hound era, mm -hmm. Sleeping Beauty, like that type of stuff. There's a bit like um, the personified animals. That, uh, so it's, it's absolutely gorgeous. It, you can tell it is something special and will be something very special when it's collected as like a hardcover. And we'll definitely be stocking it at that point as well. But there are issues that will be at the store that will be fairly sought after. It sounds like so if you want to place an order for it uh, in store order, only. Yeah. In store only. You got to come in and get it in store. I love it. Uh, what what do you what do you guys give it? I gave it a nine point five. I really liked it. Even before knowing it was all specky, I loved the animals. It pulled at the heartstrings, but it was also like very fluid cartooning, dense storytelling, but not laborious in the amount of words, but still like relatively dense and, um, you know, serious subject matter, but feeling very accessible as well. I, I give it an 8.5. I give it an 8. I hate animals, but it was a really yeah, good Yeah, you comment. do. <laughs> forgot that you hate animals. Not enough animal death in this one, Jeffrey. I agree. <laughs> I agree. Well, hey, let's take a minute to hear from our good friend, Andrew Carlson Fox. What do you two think about that? I like Andrew Carlson Fox. Yeah, me I too. too. I haven't seen him in a long time. Let's hear from him. Yeah, he's really... He's got a lot of punctuation in his last name. He's got that hyphen and then the F.O.T.S. A lot of periods in that last name. Yeah. A lot more than normal for sure. Um, but it's better to be unique than part of the herd. Hey, hey, oh boyos. My phone wants to make you bonos. Do what you will with that. So I picked up the Guardians of the Galaxy video game by Square Enix last week on a Black Friday sale. And man, it's amazing. They've done a fantastic job of making it feel so much like the Abna and Landing run without retreading any of the story beats. They nailed the characterization of everyone so much better than the, many of the recent Guardian runs. Looking at you guys, Bendis Cates, and the stakes felt very real and very exciting. On top of that, they have created an entire original soundtrack with the game. 
not just the ambient music. So it's super fun. So with that, here's my question for you. If you could have any comic character and or team have a game dedicated to them, who would you want? What would the plot be? And how many different costumes would it have? Have fun with it. And by the way, thank you guys for 250 episodes. Holy shit, halfway to 500. It's been incredibly gratifying being y'all's editor now. And I really appreciate the trust you've placed in me doing this. Keep being such awesome humans. Fotsworth. Now, this is going to be interesting because I know Roman is a pretty big video gamer. Second only to Django. <laughs> what What is what is the very first part of the question? We're, we're limited to characters. Uh, if you have any comic character and or team have a game dedicated to them who would you want and what would the plot be huh games have plots games can have plots <laughs> yeah you, it's the question you know there's the great batman it's... ones there's the great spider-man ones some part of me almost feels like it'd be fun to have like a real-time strategy game because i don't know if there's been many of those so like a starcraft style like you know you could be doing annihilation wave people or like you know controlling brigades of those or like you know, the good guys aim. Is that? And there could be Hydra ones. I don't know, like a real-time strategy one would be kind of fun. Okay. Um, I guess I, I do know that games have plots because Super Mario, which is probably the last video game that I played, <laughs> um, has a plot where they're trying to rescue the princess from Bowser, right? I think it's kind of, I mean, it's not tricky because it's not inherently difficult to make a video game where there are like balanced protagonists that could be a part of it. But I'm thinking of like a Fantastic Four one or something, but then you'd think they all have such inherently different powers that so many superheroes or, you know, comic book things are team-based. So I think the ones that have been singular characters work better than team-based ones, like the Batman and the Spider-Man one, because it's designed for one specific set of attributes for a character or power set. But even like Fantastic Four to design a game where you could be Reed or the Human Torch would be Was a pretty it? drastically different game. Was it the old Ninja Turtles game where oh God, I love even if you played just one of them, you would have other ones fighting with you? Yeah, like side-scrolling beat-em-up style. Turtles yeah. in time. Yeah, so essentially the same character, but you could get a special move and your weapon would interact with your special differently. So. I think I think the interesting thing for something like the Fantastic Four would be that you play all four of the Fantastic Four. And so instead of going into your inventory to find a different sword or a different glove or whatever you go into your your character picker everybody else is fighting and they're fighting fine but you're like oh shit i need to be mr fantastic for this scene where i have to stretch over a bridge and get everybody over it yeah and I, you have to control the unique puzzle part uh, like the, the p the piece that solves that particular problem. and i do think there you know there are games like that where you've got a group of people and you're bouncing between which ones you are at that time and they're just kind of like computer mm -hmm fighting when you're not controlling them. So I think a, a Fantastic Four one is the one that my head keeps coming back to. I want a tower defense of the Batcave. Ooh. Roman, what about, what about you, Mr. Video Hound? Well, my first thought was I want a Invaders game, the World War II Marvel <laughs> yeah. Invaders. Um, but yeah, I don't know how the mechanics would work because basically I, I want to be able to play any of the Invaders just beating up Nazis, but then have a, have a current time one where they're actually, you know, I don't know, defending the the U.S. Capitol building from the the insurrectionist terrorists and beating the crap out of them, but I don't know what was that game that oh man um, the game where you could play four people together the fantasy game something Quest Gauntlet Legends was it no it was Gauntlet EverQuest yeah. or... Gauntlet was awesome Pro probably Gauntlet where or it could have been EverQuest where you can four people you can each play a different member of the party and you all 
work in conjunction. Yeah. I guess it would have to be something like that. I always okay. wanted a thousand dollars to play Gauntlet to the end. They, and then I think they ended up porting it to the Nintendo 64. Hmm. So you could theoretically we'll do it for have a couple hundred bucks, probably. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks for writing in, Andrew. We love you. You're cute. Um, okay, okay, okay. All right. Okay. Okay. Well, so before we check in with that last one, Roma, you might want to cover your ears because we got to talk about The End of the Me You Love in the Dark by Scotty Young and Jorge Corona. Oh, yeah. Okay. Go ahead. Okay. So Django, the final issue of this five issue miniseries came out and it was very good. I'm curious what you thought about it. The I love just the change in art. We've talked about the series before. A girl moves into a haunted house to she's an artist trying to find a new voice and she it falls in love with this ghost and it becomes very violent and now she's stuck there. Yeah, and I thought that the first handful of issues, this is issue five and the last one, the first four issues felt like a really nice slow boil to something. And this issue to me felt like a pretty clumsy allegory for an abusive dude. It felt like a very clear allegory for an abusive relationship. It did. Yeah. yeah. And like it, it, that that's not a strange thing for Scotty Young to do. He he had something like that in Middle West, uh, where the, the dad has this anger inside of him and it manifests as like a storm. Um, but this just kind of I don't know, it it just it felt a little heavy handed to me and I was hoping for a little more subtlety for the final issue to kind of go with the, the pacing and the, just the mood and the, the, the nice slow slowness of the rest of the series. And also, you know, I, I think that maybe I'm not the target for this specific story. I don't know that I was the target for it either. And I do really agree with the, the sentiment that you're expressing this idea of like, it was a very slow boil. I do think of the entire thing as like exponential growth. Like the first couple, like it, the whole five issues, it's a tight five issues, but it ramps up. Mm-hmm. In the second half of issue four, there is more like clear ramping up going on. This wasn't out of nowhere, but it was pretty loud and big and fast. And mm-hmm. this book that was, to me, the shortcoming in it is kind of that, thing of like a movie can be really scary until you see the bad guy and then it's no Mm -hmm. longer scary and that's what this felt like to me it was like okay like there's it was very atmospheric up until this point but once the villain has been exposed and we know what it is and it has a face and it's been seen a lot of the fear of around it has been removed and the cover kind of gives away the resolution for the story so you kind of know what's going on but I do really like this person's art. And I even in issue one, I said it. It's cartoonish and stylized, like very thin ankles and wrists and exaggerated proportions. But mm-hmm. the lighting's gorgeous. The atmospheres are incredible. Body the environment is great. Yeah. It, so I really like, I like it as a whole. I think that it got more intense and darker at the end than I anticipated it would. Mm-hmm. But even at the same time, it was a little bit more direct than I would have loved. And I, yeah. I, I guess, you know, heavy handed is maybe another way to put that. Um, but I do also think that like, there's yeah probably some folks, even just like you kind of alluded to that would like the presence of that much more than I do in a story. So I do think there's a strong yeah. demographic. I think that like, if you really like stranger things, maybe you would like this. Like, I think it's pretty good at what it does. Uh-huh. But it's it's like it's a, a type of horror that leans a little differently than direct horror, which is, you know, 
it's tension. There's there's a lot of tension, and and you know something's wrong the whole time, mm-hmm. even though she doesn't really know something's wrong until the very end. And it was like kind of hot in issue like three, and it gets mm-hmm. like kind of creepy in issue four. And this one, a lot of the mysteries revealed, and it's it, it, it's, it's kind explosive. of abrupt, I guess. I yeah, I agree, and I, but I do think that you're right. Like there is a lot of tension. It's the whole thing does really well with tension, and mm-hmm. I guess the thing with tension is it it's stressful and as it's being tensed until it breaks and then all shit's broken loose. And that's kind of what this one was, but uh, I did kind of miss the atmosphere of the issues before it. So I'm yeah. curious what your score was. Well, I'm going to score the series and the issue. I like that. Um, I'm going to give, I'm going to give the series probably an eight and a half. Like I would hand this trade paper back to almost any newcomer to comics. Cause I think it does a really good job of, of building a mood. Um, but I'm going to give this final issue probably a six and a half or a seven. Um, just I, I, I can't even say I don't think he stuck the landing. I just it wasn't what I was hoping for for the end. And that's totally unfair. But fuck you. Six and a half or a seven. Six and a half. Six and a half because we're doing halves. We're doing halves. I'm going to do 8.5 for mine. I did really like it. I'm going to give the series as a whole an 8.5 as well. I think it's a really good trade to give to somebody who wants something kind of spooky but when you know what is spooky about it becomes a very kind of concrete metaphor by the end. And that yeah. is a specific type of spooky that I think loses the, some people's interest and is maybe more appealing to other people's. So I, I and I think I am a little bit more in the Django camp, but I do think this is really, really well done kind of sort yeah. of human target. So 8.5 for the series for me as well. Did you guys guys? I didn't. Can you I didn't read Danny little you know, little Danny down the road, little Danny DeVito, whose mother's Danny. always making that lasagna that she's handing out to a bunch of the houses around you. Oh, my God, that lasagna. Oh. OK, the lasagna is incredible. Having to deal yeah. with her for 45 minutes on the porch when she's handed it to you, covered in tinfoil, and the whole thing is thawing and getting very cold on your hands. And she's sort of best lasagna I've ever had. Best lasagna I've ever had. Exactly. But I do resent the fact that she's clearly trying to make me take care of little Danny DeVito because she's too busy, frankly, drinking gin and making lasagnas for tomorrow's (laughs) childcare. But little Danny's grown up now, little Danny DeVito, and he wrote a little Batman story. Can y'all tell me about this? He's older now. He's older. I wouldn't say he's grown up much. Um, that was a short joke job. What is this book, you guys? I didn't read it. You're the one that's real sensitive about that. Uh, Oh, you son of a bitch. Um, (laughs) <laughs> so this is this is uh, Gotham City Villains Anniversary Giant, and it's an anthology with a whole bunch of creators. But the most exciting creator in this is Danny DeVito writing a story illustrated by Dan Mora. And it's a story about Danny DeVito's character, the Penguin, and Catwoman falling in love and teaming up to steal all of the vaccines in the world and like launch missiles of vaccines to vaccinate everybody against COVID. And it's, I vacillated between thinking it was one of the worst written and one of the most clever things that (laughs) I've read. And I don't really know where I landed. Like the exposition is super ugly and clumsy, but also maybe just like a nineties comic. (laughs) Did you feel like that Roman? Like, like, Oh yeah. Yeah. You don't read comics like this anymore. Yeah, exactly. And it's, yeah, a lot of the pages kind of reminded me of like a much worse artist imitating Brian Stelfriz. Stelfriz. Oh, okay. Wow. I've never <laughs> heard somebody say Dan Morrow was bad. Uh, well, I'm not sure. I don't think he's bad. But, okay. uh, but some of these pages, yeah, they look, uh, they look 
bad. It's weird. I forgot it was Brian Moore actually as I was reading it because it doesn't look like his quite like his typical work. It, but yeah, it has some weird '90s style pacing. Like a couple times, I was like, "Wait, did I miss a page somewhere?" Well, yeah, like the whole story. It's it's what like nine or eleven pages or something, and I think it could have been a pretty great three issue arc. Yeah, yeah, actually, because I like that. I just like that crazy, that wild idea, idea, idea that uh, Penguin and Catwoman not only team up but start to fall in love, and there's a page where they kiss, and that you know I never needed to see that. But uh, <laughs> my favorite page actually is the very last page of it, the summation, because I was like, oh, that's great. Yeah, yeah, they're 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 happy together, and and like Bruce and his family can't quite really decide if that's a bad thing that they've done because <laughs> they used a whole bunch of like they stole a bunch of gold to finance this plan to cure the world of covid <laughs> like yeah I, I i thought it was very up and down while i was reading it but i yeah i think i ended up liking it well enough yeah i'm i'm very much with you like the last two paragraphs are just how i like the message yeah we're all from the same cells and share the same chemicals so be kind to each other Mm -hmm. and protect the planet it's like oh well, that's nice i didn't really care for the west craig story but i thought the art was really that's really what good. i just wanted to ask about i just looked through it like so this book has other creators in it and there's some writers that i would have really liked to have seen and artists i would have really liked to have seen west craig i love um g willow wilson and emma rios i see that mm -hmm. uh oh i'm sorry somebody else that i was just mistaken there by but dan waters that person that we really like to we hung out with with Mark Russell at that table who just oh, yeah. wrote something we really liked that I can't oh the Arkham City guy yeah I'm um, Roman sorry what would you say oh I was just I was just gonna say yeah that Poison Ivy story that's one of my two favorite stories in this nice nice so so there are some other high points it does like the creative team they've been doing these giant sized issues for a while now with real increased frequency Mm -hmm. like the like the character specific ones and there was a good run there where there was creative teams it was like just the most generic like okay cool there's two but riley rossmo are and there's one by this guy and like yeah it was all the same thing and this is actually a, a more interesting array to me well the the west craig one was interesting to me because it um it has a bunch of callbacks to the dark knight returns including mutants as bad guys and then like a a short-haired carrie kelly at the very end um and i i am just a sucker for seeing carrie kelly in anything um there were a couple i didn't care much about but the the red hood one was also beautifully illustrated and it had had kind of a cool idea it's like the secret origin of the secret origin of the joker so it's like the, the dudes who were passing the red hood around before the guys who put it on the joker ended up with it um i thought that was pretty cool and uh i just skimmed a couple of the others but the mad hatter one was also pretty interesting um hmm. yeah all, all in all i i don't know i thought i thought this was pretty solid it looks pretty solid and you got a frank quietly cover on it so score for the whole thing or score just for the danny devito i don't know you tell me well danny devito one's got to be like half size of the other one probably because he's shorter because it wasn't good or what because he's short I'm, oh i'm really gonna hammer on that like i respect him for not wearing um lifts like somebody like tom cruise does when he does his action scenes action scenes but danny devito just owns it he does his action scenes from about waist height um I'm gonna are you guys doing whole... your black bolt <laughs> no django just wasn't that clever <laughs> you guys have to be doing a bit to not be laughing out loud at me right now <laughs> <It> must be <laughs> I, I give it a six and a half or i give it a seven i give it a seven okay some good stuff in there 
I I gave it a I gave it a six. I mean, I had two stories I really liked, and the rest there was you know things I liked about. I really liked the the um, killer moth story, which is also a very short like four page story, four or five pages. Um, yeah, I'll give it a six. What'd you give it, Jeff? Um, I really liked the West Craig story. I gave it fifteen point five. Schnarth and the Jerth. I didn't le- I didn't read it this Schnarth town, but I do think that because clearly we're on our way home, you know and we're going home home. we're going home and well before we get home though i think that it's important for us to hang out and do a little buckshot town i don't know what do you guys think about that i am a goddamn fan of the buckshot are you now you are the the big the big buckshot guy and by that i mean fat a buckman (laughs) i'm a buckman I'm, i'm one of the fat beetles I don't, I don't like guns, so I've never liked the buckshot. Right, I haven't either, but what do you want to call it? What do you want to call it for season the two? The quick draw? Ronnie? Yeah, season two. Um, we got to leave them with a cliffhanger tonight. We're going to re reboot brand. our numbers. Yep, re get a new title. You have to find our feed, everyone. <laughs> <laughs> you, got, you got nothing? I got nothing. You just had your chance. It's guns forever now, buddy. Guns forever now. <laughs> Django, 90 seconds on the clock. Go. Refuse mm-hmm. times last resorts from bad idea. Um, the first part of this book is by Matt Kent, of course, and Marguerite Savage. It's just a really nice story about a woman who's on another planet, like she's shipwrecked on another planet, and it's it's wordless for the most part, and it goes through her trying to survive and get her ship up out of the water and and go finish her mission, which is to rescue someone and. I didn't quite understand the end. Maybe Roman can explain it to me in small words later, but I, I thought that it was really good looking. Um, I didn't read Last Resorts. Uh, I don't know why. I really like Mark Russell, uh, but I forgot to read it. I also read the Jeff Smith graphic novel, Tukey. Uh, this came out two weeks ago, but we didn't do a podcast last week. And uh, it's a pretty awesome, uh, just sort of an adventure story with different humans like di- different types of human who are around uh, like er- early man. And so each group of people that you meet are different types of early man. And I, I thought that was a really cool idea. I also read uh, Wonder Woman Historia. That was gorgeous and really not my style. Well-timed, my friend. I got a, I got a 90 second timer in my head brain, motherfucker. You are so good. I'm a fan of you, Django. If someone, if you, if you, I need to rewatch There Will Be Blood. I can't do it. If, if you I say me, I'm a fan of you, Django, I, I'm sure you'll agree. <laughs> so when I tell you I'm a fan of Junko, I'm sure you'll agree. Um, <laughs> Roman, would you like to start your buckshot here in just a moment as soon as you're ready? Sure. Are you ready now? Sure. All right, would you rather surprise one, Jeff? Three, two, one, your surprise didn't work, Django, because you're a coward. Fuck! <laughs> I'll do The Last Resorts, uh, second half of that book Django was talking about by Mark Russell. Um, that was a cool story, Django and everyone else. Um, set, set in the future, and it's just the this guy finds out that corporations have figured out how to duplicate people against their knowledge, and the way that mystery is unraveled is very clever, very funny, um, and sad. Uh, good stuff. Maniac of New York, number Maniac of New York, The Bronx is Burning, number one. This is the second volume of Maniac of New York. 
Um, great horror story. And one of the things I really like about it, I mean, you've got this killer or maniac Harry who's got a nasty machete. Um, but there's a lot of stuff in this about New York and there's this school. One of our characters goes to this high school and it's, it's off in the Bronx. And there's a lot of commentary about how in Manhattan, the cops are like watching the schools and they're protecting the kids here at this school. Um, they've got some goofball named Sarge, some burnt out old ex-military guy who's completely useless. And there's just a lot of commentary about education and the class divisions and that kind of thing. Plus, there's some just some great slasher horror tropes. And this, this guy's like a Michael talking. Myers or Jason. I can't. I can't. <laughs> I loved the way the first volume looked. I didn't finish it, but I did really like it. I think I read the first three it was good. I would I would love if I don't have any names in mind, but if they had a good horror movie director that turned these in, turned like the first one into a horror. James movie. Wan. It felt like a no. yeah, kind of like a movie movie script thing. What? You don't like James Wan? You know, I like his I like his ideas. His movies always go on too long. Huh. He he I have the same problem with Wes Anderson. It's like, you know, Whoa. cut it quick going, you know, cut it off like 35, 40 minutes before. You usually do. <laughs> Roman, no fan of symmetry. Jeff, however, you have 45 seconds and 45 45? seconds go. Okay, two times 45 seconds. I read a slew of things, most of them comic books, but a few of them DC, and that's what I've listed for you here. Batman the Detective, <laughs> number six, Tom Taylor, final issue of this miniseries. This was very good. It was very good. It's nice that he got to write his Batman story. He's got a great voice for Batman. I wonder if he would have liked to have told one within the main continuity a little bit more because this one is kind of between main continuity and Dark Knight Returns era. But this is good. They allow Batman to have some catharsis while mostly experiencing a lot of tragedy. I think that's an inherently good thing for Batman to do. If Tom Taylor were the person writing Batman instead of Joshua Williamson after that dookie storm that a JTA be, I would love it. However, <laughs> we have Josh Williamson who wrote Justice League Incarnate, number one, the follow-up to Infinite Frontier that had just finished up. I wanted to talk to you all about this. And then when I flipped through it today before talking about it on the podcast, I realized I couldn't remember any of it, which leads me to believe that it was not very good. And I remember the whole thing, I'm like, oh, I remember that panel. Oh, I remember that panel. And I couldn't tell you what happened. They're, they're doing cool stuff with the multiverse, but it's just not super well executed. Batman, Fear State, Omega, Tinian, the end of Tinian's Batman run. I remember the Fear State Alpha issue and Django being like, yeah, it seems like it kind of explained everything that he's written in Batman leading up to this point with, you know, so you didn't need to read it and then go into Fear State. Omega did the same thing for the entire Fear State event. So it's like, if you read Alpha and Omega, you don't have to read any Jimmy TIV. And I think that's best for everyone. I, I agree about that one. I, I thought it was a decent issue, kind of a clumsy way to recap everything, but but I felt like justified in not reading the rest of the series. Yeah, I have not been reading it and he made me feel like I got most of it. So mm -hmm. I think that that's a credit to his skill at some things and maybe his shortcomings with other things. But like yeah. I, he, he, I think Alpha and Omega worked as good issues to tell you what was about to happen and had been happening. And then Omega tells you what happened and how it ended. And yep. I'm glad that this is all behind us and I can stop being a grumpy curmudgeon about his run and I can be a grumpy curmudgeon about Josh Williamson's. No, Josh Williamson's is going to be better. You, you tell him what you're going to tell him. You tell him. You tell him what you told him. Thanks, Jimmy T. You wrote us an essay in high school for 30 issues of fucking Batman. <laughs> That's a you should tell kids how to write their <laughs> high school shit. Jeff, um, Jeff, yeah, Jeff, 
you know, my favorite thing about Justice League Incarnate. Yeah. Could you Dr. tell Multi- me about it? Yeah. Dr. Multiverse. I had the same thing. I mean, I was liking it as we went along. There was some cool things like this. Ooh, new the JSA, bad, probably. This new bad guy. They weren't in it. This new bad guy, like, rips the big blue baby in half. Um, but my favorite things were Dr. Multiverse. Her logo, I just realized. Her M is the M from Multiversity. And, and they're she, using the Multiversity map in it and everything. Yeah. In fact, and I just... I didn't notice that when I read it, but when she uses her multivision, there's a close-up of her eyeball, and her eyeball has her eye has Grant Morrison's multivision map on it, in it, in her eye. So I yeah, you're right. I didn't notice that either. I do really like that they're using so much of the Morrison stuff as a basis. Yeah. And while I was reading this and when I finished it, I did not think that I didn't enjoy it. Like I didn't finish it and think that was bad. No, but no, but it was paced strangely or something. And coming back to it, I was like, oh, my God, I I remember reading this, but I don't remember any of it in a fond way. There's not a whole lot of standout stuff. I'm waiting for, you know, see uh, Captain Carrot and Mary Marvel, two of my favorite people on this team, do things. And I did love the fact that Orion shows up and he's for some reason he's got a great big scary looking like apocalyptic dog. <laughs> That's cool. Is it? Do you guys think that um, Joshua Williamson is shooting for like Grant Morrison level heady, complex thought experiments, and not as able to to make it stick, or is is something else going on? Because I tapped out of the previous series, the Infinite Frontier, pretty early. I think that when you're dealing with a team that's made up of relatively obscure characters so this is kind of like you know like secret six or like you know different incarnations of suicide squad or like the thunderbolts or something when you're dealing with characters who's like you haven't spent a ton of time with and maybe have only a varied amount of history behind them like mary marvel and captain carrot have been around for a long time but i think that flash woman was something that josh williamson like created in his flash run recently and like the aqua lad person over there and then we get the flashpoint batman you're dealing with characters that like some of them people have a lot of investment in and others people don't and you're relying on the run to gain people's interest in it and when the art itself isn't very interesting and i would say that the art in this is very generic and very uninteresting Mm -hmm. it's it can be it just doesn't have hooks in it for me i don't think that he's necessarily trying to be like morrison or anything i do think that he's just interested in a lot of the same things Right. But I don't think that he is quite as good about wrapping it up. But I would say teams like this are always a pretty hard sell for me. Yeah. Um, Like none of these care. I I like Captain Carrot, but I don't really know him that well. I don't know Mary Marvel. I like Flashpoint Batman. I like the Morrison Superman. But like, you know, the other characters I don't know. So this needs to do a good job of selling me on those characters. And it hasn't otherwise. And it's not the art. It had it been interesting looking. Uh, would be an easier sell but the art itself isn't interesting so i'm i am i think his batman thing is going to be very interesting to to be a, a palette cleanser for what is actual joshua williamson's thing roman what do you think um yeah i'm looking forward to his batman run i think this i really liked uh infinite frontier and yeah the, i the art on this definitely isn't as good as whoever did the art on that series um i don't know i'm curious about this i'll definitely keep reading it i mean i like strange teams like this um and i'm always glad to see the president superman from whatever earth he's from because he's calvin ellis yeah he's an interesting character um and i like big goofy cosmic dc stuff and that's what this is 
and like dark side and the multi like there's so many components of this that make me think I should love it. Yeah, yeah. And and little bits like I like the fact somebody points out Dark Side. I think Dr. Multiverse points out that Dark Side doesn't have any analogs in other universes because he's just Dark Side is throughout mm. all multiverses. He's the same Dark Side. I like <laughs> I like little things like that. <laughs> yeah. No, and for sure. And those are the kind of flavor bites that make Morrison really great as well. So yeah. He's a similar type of storyteller, but he just doesn't seem like he's taken all of the acid and done all of the things to really yeah. feel eloquent in being able to try and discuss them. So has some nice humor there too, because that villain that tries to take on Darkseid in this, and he's trying to take Darkseid's place. And at one point he says, he yells out like whatever his name is, you know, is, and then Darkseid just kills him, I think. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I'm excited to see what he does with Batman. Yeah. Yeah. Me too. Fingers hey, everybody. Crossed. We've been here for 250 episodes and we love you all and we love each other very much. Django, people sent us some emails today and we would love to get more of those. People, please send us emails. If you're listening, just do it. If you haven't done it at this point, I can't even fathom why you haven't. I'd like to um, start a new tradition. Okay. We know some of our listeners. We do. No, this is a terrible idea. But I would like to ask... call them out by name. I would like to ask Brian Garside to send us an email once a month because I know he listens... I, I know that he is an eloquent dude and has written in before. So I know he can do it. Well, he writes into the other podcast. Thanks, Garside. Oh, jealous. Gar- Garside is. Garside is. <laughs> uh, that was very good. Um, but you can send those emails to Jeff at thecomicsplace.com and they get on the podcast. We love that. We also love anybody who 250 episodes in is listening to us. Thanks for hanging out. We really do like doing it regardless of anyone listening because we really like each other and i think as we all become older we all sort of start to get into this 36 range and then move out of it um it's you know what who what are our adult friends how do you hang out with people what is <laughs> hanging out with somebody and this is our best way to get to hang out with each other so it's very good that isn't directly involving work although it is directly involving work so never mind i'm just super excited to i mean this is this is the, our last episode of season one of Perfectly Acceptable Podcast, right? <laughs> yeah. Next episode is season two, episode one. And uh, it's going to be an all new, all different Comics Place podcast. And, and we're going by uh, a new name called The Midnight Syndicate. The Midnight Yeah. Episode one. Don't look for season one because it's called The Perfectly Acceptable Podcast. And, and it's garbage. Sure. Did you guys see, uh, do you remember when... Uh, Miami Vice did a second season. Oh my fucking God. I don't remember that. Miami Vice. (laughs) It got dark. You're 47 years old, Django. Crockett was punching the ceiling of the cop car because a kid got dead. Oh my God. Thanks for listening. Thanks for hanging out. We'll see you 250 episodes from now because we'll probably still be friends and we'll probably still be doing this. Uh, And we love you all. Thank you. Um, I am always am your loving host, Jeff Figley. And I'm Roman Staller. Hugs and kisses, everyone. I'm Django. I was I was wondering, guys. Oh, good. What, what were you wondering? Let's say you're an X-Men bad guy. Uh-huh. Okay. And you've got the power to send one X-Man back in time, say 10,000 years. And you choose Professor X because he's kind of the leader, right? Mm-hmm. Do you think that Professor X's powers would be exponentially grown when he gets back that far in time when the mutants aren't crowding his thoughts okay so is the question who i would choose to send back in time or if i'm sending press presser exact to dave back in time would he send him back in time would he 
have the the brain space to just become like supremely powerful because he's not constantly trying to kind of because there's so my few theory humans that, back then my theory and right is that now he's being bombarded by it's thoughts. like if you take adderall and you're like you have the ability to be much more focused all of a sudden he's like there's a lot less white noise i can just focus on finally cleaning my apartment in this goddamn wheelchair professor x adderall yeah, yeah. i agree that's my answer too yeah Oh, right. Professor Exaterol was a really good one to go out on. We'll see you all next week for 251 Season no, 2. number one. Uh, episode one. <laughs>